Welcome back to the Off The X podcast. On this episode of the podcast, I changed it up a bit. Every episode of 2022 has been with a retired or active uh, DS special agent. But when I first set out to doing this podcast, I noted that I would interview, quote unquote, all of those who support the mission. And while I plan to continue having DS agents on, uh, I have previously interviewed some high threat uh, protection contractors. Uh, I thought it necessary to bring on a former Marine security guard. So this is not just any Marine security guard. This is a friend that I served with on the MSG program back in 2000 and 2002. Uh, in this episode, we discuss MSG school in depth, in depth uh, the training it takes to go to a designated country post such as Russia, China, Venezuela, etc., and some of the funnier and lighter moments on the MSG program. Uh, it's not called MSG anymore. It's called Marine Corps Embassy Security Group, but you'll hear us refer throughout the podcast as MSG. We do discuss lifestyle Marines of detachment, their mission, the capabilities, and very important for you aspiring DS special agents, uh, their relationship with the, the regional security office. So please listen in as I welcome my friend Jason Kyle. Jason is a United States Marine Corps veteran, a combat veteran of the Battle of uh, Fallujah, Operation Final Fury, and as stated, a former member of Marine Security Guard Battalion, as it was previously known. So listen in. Listen up, and I'm confident you will enjoy this episode. Catch y'all on the backside. Thanks, y'all. So yeah, so let's let's talk about then. Uh, what I want to talk about is obviously primarily Marine Security Guard stuff and how it relates to diplomatic security agents and uh, regional security officers, officers what they do overseas. And, um, and then, you know, kind of everything from the relationships to the, the, uh, between the two, the, the job duties of the Marine security guards and the ARSOs or the RSOs that manage the, mm-hmm. the, 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 uh, the detachment and, uh, and then eventually compare notes, as I mentioned to you before, before the podcast, compare notes with maybe a newer MSG that's just got out yeah. and see what's changed and how what's things changed. have evolved. And, and I, and I, I know they have you know, having been there as an heir or so. So, but first off, uh, just tell us uh, about yourself and uh, your, t- your time in the Marine Corps. Uh, my time in the Marine Corps. I, I spent a little over 12 years in the Marine Corps. Uh, my first four years served with the infantry unit uh, based out of Camp June, North Carolina. Uh, did a couple of deployments with them. And that's when I heard about the embassy program. Um, so actually, we were doing a training exercise in Jordan, and we just got out of the field. Um, and it was one of our last training exercises for the deployment. And my platoon sergeant came up to me. Well, he was asking everybody, like, oh, what are you doing uh, when you get out? And I was being a little smart ass. He was like, Corporal Kyle, what are you doing when you get out? I was like, I'm going to join the Peace Corps and travel the world. And he was like, no, you're going to join MSG duty. I had no idea what MSG duty was. Um, but from that day to the day I realized was four days. That's how quickly it spiraled. So my first, my first sergeant found out that I was interested in MSU duty, which I was not interested in it. Um, so got called up to his office when we got out of the field. Uh, kind of told me about it. Uh, and then he asked me when I was re-enlisting. And then I kind of got punked into re-enlisting. I was not going to re-enlist. I was getting out. And it, it, it just spiraled out of control. Like, I like I didn't have a damn say-so in the process. Um, so after that, um, my first four, I uh joint embassy program with the school chronicle virginia uh first assignment was moscow russia my second assignment was bogota colombia and i was there for quite some time 
because uh, the Iraqi war started, stop, fall, stop, move, which means that, you know, the Marines, you, had, you, you couldn't leave where you were. It was stop, fall, stop, move. It's kind of protect the guys that's already in the fleet so they can't get orders to go somewhere else. Um, after that, I went to another infantry unit based out of um, Camp Pinot, California, 3rd Battalion, 1st Marines, did a couple of deployments to Iraq there with them. And I did my last two years back in Quantico, uh, but this time in a different role. I was at the basic school, uh, served as a combat instructor uh, for two years. Yeah, I know you have a lot of uh, stories and, and things that happened after the Marine Security Guard uh, duty. Yeah. Um, but but well, well, for now, we'll focus in on, on, on that and, and on uh, being an MSG. And so uh, let me let me just kind of talk a little bit about the Marine Security Guard mission. So uh, Marine Security Guards are assigned to just about every U.S. embassy. Actually, I think it's US, every U.S. embassy, maybe not every U.S. consulate, definitely not every U.S. consulate, actually. Uh, and at some point after Benghazi, you know, the, the Congress came down and said, look, we need to put Marines at all these different places. And I was a DS agent at the time. We we're scattering to do this, right? I remember Vietnam was one of them. Ho Chi Minh City was one of them. We had to, like, find a way to, to, to get Marines there, and we, we ended up doing that. But the Marine Security Guard mission is to protect personnel, property, and classified information. And these days, and I don't know if you and I have discussed this before, Jason, but but these days, they're all basically the same level. You're, you're looking at protecting personnel, property, and classified information. Previously, when you and I were on duty, and for everyone – listening now uh you and i were in moscow together back in 2000 to 2002 ish time frame um and previously it was protect classified information first yeah right so like sustain you know protecting the embassy while we go and we just destroy classified information and i will say and i used to say no marine would would allow you know a civilian to be injured or not protected while we destroy papers right but but officially, that was the mission. And then shortly after that, well, not shortly after, several years after, I think it's around the Benghazi time, they said, look, we need to change this. The Marines are there. They're Marines. They can protect uh, all, all three, personnel, property, and classified information. Yeah, and, I don't know if it happened to – sorry, Cody, I don't mean to cut you off. But uh -huh. I, don't know if it, I don't know if it happened to you when you were in school. I think you came into class right after. Um, but in my class, we did get asked – question and i don't remember if it was a board question or if it was a question like when you're just doing like a rehearsal drill or whatever but the question was like hey there's a uh, there's a classified document on the table and the situation has happened at embassy but a, a person embassy employee is getting held by you know uh being held up by gunpoint what do you do and the correct answer was destroy the classified information and their reasoning behind that at this time like you said when we went on the program was that piece of classified information to do more harm to America than having one person, you know, get taken or, you know, get killed. Um, so I, I specifically remember that question, that scenario. And it's just, it's, it's kind of, you know, I don't know. It's kind of good and kind of bad. That's got changed because like part of me is like, man, I would rather protect that classified information. Hopefully it's not something just secret and something, you know, something small. Hopefully it's like a, a, something big that you're protecting. Uh, over, you know, seeing a, seeing a person get killed. I mean, you got, at the end of the day, you know, you're making that decision. You got to live with it. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a, it's, it's, it's an interesting scenario. I, I, I didn't experience it. I did come to class after you. I didn't experience that one, but you know, after being a Marine security guard and then a, a assistant regional security officer, there's so many safeguards on classified information that that yeah. scenario is really, 
so out there. And the fact, and even if there was a piece of classified information and an individual standing there with a gun to someone's head, that piece of information is going to, is likely not to be, you know, the nuclear fucking codes or codes. something like that. Right. So, so, no, it's, but, but that, Hey, but that's typical of the Marine Corps given you know, those was, types of scenarios. I was thinking the same thing. It's typical of the Marine Corps, man. Yeah. It is typical of the Marine Corps. Yeah. So, you know, good, good, good scenario for a young Marine to get the answer right. Hopefully because they drill it into you that you're protecting yeah. classified information. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so, and one thing to add back then, uh, the the most marine security guards uh, and, and and this has changed a good bit. Most marine security guards were combat armed, so we had a lot of infantry guys in Moscow. So we had with thirty marines, twenty eight marines, yeah. two detachment commanders, something like that. And um and most marines were combat armed. So we had infantry guys, we had uh, combat engineers, we had uh, artillerymen. Um and then but that's changed, right? When the war started, um, people or units wanted to keep their their good marines, their their marines there. And to be a marine security guard, you got to be like selected and approved and go through all this kind of a rigorous process. I don't mean a rigorous physical process, but being blessed off by a bunch of people to get to a certain point, including getting the clearance and everything else. And, uh, and, and that's changed now. So the, the mission though, back then and, and actually still now is for 48 hours of sustainment, being able to sustain protection of the consulate against a hostile force or the embassy against a hostile force for up to 48 hours till another unit can get there. Usually a fast team off the Mew could be anyone these days, right? Whoever's available would hopefully come. Hopefully. You know, you know, you know who, who knows these days. Um, but that was the point. And the reason I bring that up is uh, I just saw an article, and we're going to get back on track here, but I just saw a, an article someone forwarded to me that the uh, embassy in Ukraine, that, that uh, military leaders are recommending, or someone's recommending that we send uh, – like uh, special operations forces troops to protect the U S embassy. And I saw some guys, people forwarded to me and I saw some comments and people say, you know, what, well, aren't there MSGs? And there's two parts to that one. I don't know if they brought MSGs back or not. They should have, they absolutely should have. And if somebody listening to this, maybe a DSA agent can, can tell me, they'll probably say, yeah, they're, they're back or well or not. But you know, if there's active duty military on the ground, there is that some type of, you know, reason for Putin to throw up a false flag and say, look, there's military in Ukraine, U S military in Ukraine. Right. And, and, and so I don't know if they're there or if, but if it wouldn't be them or if it is them, they, they cannot fight off a whole fucking army. It doesn't work that way. Right. You're talking about civil right. unrest, like protests against the government, protests against the Americans, the Iranian hostage strikes back in the late seventies. Right. That would be a time when the Marines should, if given the right, uh, rules of engagement to protect the, 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 the embassy. And, and back then I don't think the rules of engagements were, they weren't even used. So I don't, but I don't know what they had. So you can't sustain that against an actual military, but you can against a bunch of civilian potentially, or you, in theory, you should, they should be able to against a bunch of civilians or even a, a, a militia group that might be trying to attack. And as you know, uh, they give a significant amount of ammunition a significant amount of weaponry and a significant amount of training for us to be able to do that. And my point back to the beginning was back in the day, it was mostly combat arms folks that had some training, right? You had to go through a certain amount of time with your unit so that you had some type of skill set to contribute basically. And I felt confident in Moscow that we could have defended that place for at least 48 hours, right? You, you remember the whole 
process there. And we're going to go over all the testing and stuff, but yeah. uh, I just want to bring that out. Cause that's fresh. That's hot off the press. Basically uh, today, someone forwarded this to me that they were, that they were, uh, they were talking about that, but I do want to go back. I want to start off at Marine security guard school. And you gave an example of something that happened of, of, of the, the wow. test question, but tell me about, so when did you go through the school? And, and uh, you know, where does it take place? Things like that. Go ahead. Yeah, I went to school, I want to say um, May, June of 2000. Uh, it takes place in Quantico, Virginia. Uh, and, you know, my initial thoughts, when you go to check into the schoolhouse, you know, like the day before your school date or whatever, you go to check in and, you know, um, for someone like me and a lot of Marines, probably today, like you don't really know about the MSU program. Like you've heard about it, but you, it's kind of hard to conceptualize. Like, you know, people talking like, oh man, you got a maid at the Marine house. You have a cook, you got all this shit. You like, you can't even think about that. Uh, first impressions, you get to school and there's a Marine on duty, like in post, kind of simulated like uh, it would be like at an embassy, you know. Um, you check in. Uh, the school itself was intense not like physical wise i mean it's 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 i guess it's physically demanding for some but for like cody was alluding to like cody and myself we were in the infantry and back in those days it was really physically demanding so like the physical demanding portion of it was not you know anything outside of the norm for like a marine corps school if you will uh but where it was demanding was like what you had to learn memorize recite uh, all the things on post you had to know what everything did you know um every alarm system you know the ins and outs of it um so there was there was a lot there there was a lot to there was a lot to learn um and i think you know learning wasn't the issue it was being able to recite back everything that we had to recite back if you remember you know like all the different alarms i can't even remember it now because i think i just did a brain dump um after the program um but you know it was that and then you know like the school was different from the sense that you know one day you're training how to kill someone with a pr24 which is baton and then you know you're putting on a suit and learning an etiquette class on how to eat properly at a formal uh event uh so it was a wide range of things that you have to learn have to do um some of the things that i think you know back then we didn't do much uh was the hand-to-hand combat kind of stuff but it was like a different hand it wasn't like hand-to-hand -hand combat like your end goal wasn't to like kill someone it was just like to neutralize the threat you know using different pressure point control techniques things like that so um there was a lot of punching each other on the side of the neck you know brachial stun you know you do that for hours which you probably only need to have it done to you once before you're like all right i got it you know uh that was different for me because one i hate people touching my neck so, you know, all the things that we did with the neck was like very uneasy for me. Um, but the school was, you know, it was demanding, but at the same time it was fun um, because you got treated like Marines, but then you also got treated like gentlemen. So it was a little, it, it was, it's definitely different than any other school that I went to in the Marine Corps. Yeah, I thought it had a good balance. Um, yeah. Some of, those, some of those alarms you're talking about were, you may recall the AES panel. And it was a toggle switch. That's it. Right. The that's that's all. The two position toggle switch. Yeah, two position toggle switch. And you you flip it up to one, you hit silent, you flip it back, and you get the green lights and the red. And, and so 
when I brought the detachment in uh, to Ho Chi Minh City, we still had something similar. It wasn't a toggle switch. It was just a button, press the button again. And, then, and so it's still, and I, I think, and I think that was almost a, 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 question, a, a system that was becoming obsolete. Yeah. Uh, you know, now in the corporate sector, we have literally everything's on a computer. You can acknowledge alarms, everything on a computer. Um, I don't know if the state department has taken that on in, in those other posts or not, but, but the, uh, to, your, to the training point, the brachial stun uh, is a very effective tool that no one very. Really, you see all these defensive tactics, you know, folks, jiu-jitsu, fighting, you name it. Um, brachial stun is a very surprisingly effective, uh, very surprising as well, you know, if you're in the right position yeah. to uh, take someone out. And it basically involves hitting someone in the neck with the back backside of your, your, your uh, yeah. palm. Or or with your forearm, forearm, and literally cuts the circulation and they drop. And we and and what they say like go fifty percent, and every marine's like yeah, Roger yeah. that, and just goes you know ninety nine percent. Yeah, you're hopped up on no dose Mountain Dew, man. You don't know what fifty percent is. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> yeah, I thought the and and so for a little more uh, about that for for listeners, the the detachment or the the school is run very similar to. Um, well, somewhat similar to how they would be in a, in a, in a actual embassy. So they're in a detachment, right? So they're in detachments of, yeah. do you remember it was like six, six or so individuals? Six or seven. Yeah. It was, it wasn't as big as a squad, squad being 12 guys. It was like six or seven. Uh, the other thing they did is we had the civilian there, uh, who kind of acted as an artist. So he was there for many, many years. Uh, I forgot the guy's name, but you're, you're right. It was set up as a detachment, uh, you had a deck commander uh, who was uh, going through deck commander school. Uh, he got there, I think, a few weeks before we did, and they learned that portion, and they learned also learned our portion with us too. Um, so yeah, it was very. It was they did a very good job of setting it up, so it's not foreign to you when you actually got on the post. Yeah, and the the deck commanders. So you, yeah, so six or seven to a unit to a, to a detachment. Deck commanders they were learning basically how to send, you know, like classified emails and a bunch of stuff that was was uh, more administrative in nature. Um, right. And then they and then they went through everything else with us. Uh, probably a little less, uh, maybe not a little less rigorous, but I don't think they were judged as hard because they didn't need to really stand post. Although the good deck commanders. Uh, would step up on occasion and stand post for different different reasons, just to you know for morale purposes. Um, but uh, I would I would agree with you. So the attrition rate when I back then and I, and I was a class behind you. Um, I graduated in October, I think. Yeah, October. Um, and and the attrition rate was about fifty five percent then. So we had, or fifty percent, we had a hundred and ten in my class and fifty three made it, and. You know, when you talk about it being difficult, yeah, there's some physically demanding stuff for some people. That's fine, but um, in the studying, but it was it was more that the days were so long, and you had like, and you're you're up to eleven thirty at night studying because you did have to recite specifically exactly every detail of whatever post order, right? There is, and, and know these systems and. Um, and then, you know, throughout the day you're doing PT, you're doing classes. I remember getting yelled at in a class where I was, I was awake, but I was just staring off to the distance and I was like in the front row and the, <clears throat> the instructor yeah. was just like, got on me pretty hardcore. Um, 
And so mandatory study time. Yeah, there was a lot of other things you had to do. Like even after school ended for the day, uh, you know, it's getting uniforms ready, mandatory study sessions. Uh, yeah, that's what it was. It was super long days. And that's why I was saying like, yeah, you're hopped up on no-dos and Mountain Dew because you were doing anything, whatever it took to like stay awake in class, you know. Um, that, that, was a, that was the hard part. Yeah, you know, one of the things too that, that uh, I just th- jogged my memory there is we would stay up, for example, they would take us to get suits, right? So most Marines don't have suits. Any young Marine, enlisted Marine, very few have suits, right? We've come from different backgrounds yeah. all over. And they would take us to somewhere in Virginia and buy us a bunch of suits. And one of the tests was matching your suits, like making sure your suit, your shirt, your ties, your belt, your shoes, and even your socks match so you didn't look like a clown. I mean, people don't understand, like, this, yeah, this is the, this is the detail that. that we go on. Remember that? We'd have, like, inspections yeah. where you'd come in, like, look, look, I have two suits here. Here's my uh, greenish suit. Uh, I did have a green suit, by the way. It was, like, green yeah. khaki, so it was all right. And, and a shirt and a tie and then the belt. And, and literally, do the belts match the shoes, right? The belts always match the shoes, you know? And, uh, and, 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 you, and which socks are you wearing, Marine? You know, and the type of stuff that we went through, like the, the minutia, the detail yeah. uh, is one people listening are probably like, Holy shit. I didn't know that. And, and you know, I bet you there's a ton of DS agents that probably don't know this either. They know um, that, yeah. You know? And, and so anyway, and, and but, people, and people probably wondering like, Oh dude, you're in school. Like how could you mess that up? Well, easy. Cause Marines can be, Marines can be the smartest idiots you've ever met in your life. Like for example, we had this one dude, I forget where you're from. We're just going to say Alabama because he was country as you can be. You know, like, so we were doing it one time. So suits. So we all go, we get our suits, right? And then we're all getting inspected. And nobody's really paying attention to each other. This dude's standing, like, right across from me. And then the uh, comes up to him, like, dude, he's like, what the hell is that tire? What are you wearing? So this dude had a full-on, like, nice pinstripe suit. And he's wearing his clip-on um alpha tie you know like the khaki tie they yep. didn't match work shit it's clip on like dude you took that off your your military uniform and you would try to wear it with a suit like that's what we're dealing with here like that's why we have to do those things because you know like how many times you you know go to the ambassador's house or do like formal events things like that and you're out on your own man you don't have this gunning telling you how to dress like you gotta be you know gotta be confident that you can go and not look like a shit show in front of these foreign diplomats so there's anyone, a reason for everything. If anyone see Marines, young Marines off duty, whether you're in an infantry unit or an air unit, you name it, uh, you would see, and, and from all yeah. over the U.S. and how they dress. If somebody from New Jersey and from Louisiana and from Ohio and from Seattle, Washington, like they all dress different. And 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 and, and, and a lot of times they combine a little bit of the Marine Corps from what, so they have their web belt. Or their yeah. black boots with a t-shirt tucked in. Tucked in. Um, yeah. <laughs> tucked in t-shirt is always a sign. Tucked in t-shirt and a high and tight sign that you might be around a Marine uh, off duty. But So what do you remember about the peer review board? Uh, peer reviews were rough. Uh, a lot of people, you know, got butt hurt over their peer reviews. I think the peer reviews is probably um, – one thing that I've always said that could probably help out in a lot of different sectors in this world, right? 
so the pair the pair evals is like what you what you what it sounds like it's like your peers rating you and it was like different questions like would you would you go on post with this person do you trust this person with your life um some really good questions to ask for peer review and i think it was one of the greatest things we had and i think it definitely ruined a few people's you know msg career like they didn't make it to the program because of the peer review actually a guy that i was um i served in the fleet with he was one of my squad leaders in my platoon he got dropped from the program because of peer review uh he was um he got dropped for being too barbaric um he he he, he was a marine's marine he was not cut out for the program it, he would have been great to have out there but i couldn't imagine this guy in ambassador's house at a formal dinner um he's he's just not that he's just not that cut and no knock on him that's just not who he is uh so the peer evals i think were solid i think it's unique i think it's a way to really judge someone's character because your peers your peers are with you all day every day they know how you are um they know what you're like um they kind of got a feel of what you would probably be like on posts just by being around you all day every day uh you get to know your peers more than you get to know your brothers and sisters i mean that's it you eat sleep shit together all day long you know 24 hours for how many months we were there so i i think the period guys were a good tool that they use um to kind of judge people's character yeah, I would agree. It's one of the most valuable tools there. And and you you touched on a point. I talked about the board. I mentioned the board when you stand in front of that panel. Yeah. Um, but but the evals are uh, I forget how the frequency of those were they weekly or they're biweekly or is it once or twice? Yeah, I think I I think it was like once or twice we did it. I think uh, sort of in the beginning and towards the end, and it might have been right before, um, right before the board. I think we did it. Um, but yeah, you asked about the board. I, I forgot about, I was thinking, I heard pair. No, all good. All good. Uh, the board. Yeah. I mean, the board was, the board makes you or break you. I, I got picked to go to Moscow because of my performance on the board. You know, I was, a I was a board Marine back in the fleet. So, you know, all my, uh, ranks were meritorious. So I got them before I should have got them for the listeners that that don't know so i had to go up for a board to get all of my promotions um so i was kind of used to going on a board and um some of the questions i got asked on the board were probably not as tough as some of the other people you know questions i believe the you know the psychiatrist that we had on the board that threw some weird questions at people he went in this long rant about the question he's going to ask me that i had to really think about it you know hard and blah 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 and then the question was where did i go to boot camp east coast or west coast that was my question i and i think just because i you know not toot my own horn but i nailed that board so hard you know they asked me a question i didn't know what the hell the answer was i made up some shit and i was so confident and cocky in my answer i think i convinced them that that was the right answer that that was not even anywhere close but that's what that's how it's taught to go on the board just be confident and you know like pretend like you know if you don't know just don't be like sitting there guessing like mm, well you know you got two options you could either make up some bullshit answer and be confident about it or you could say like hey this brain doesn't know but we'll we'll find out at a later time or something like that you know i chose my first option i made some shit up and i was talking and moved on to the next question like it was no big deal yeah. um but everybody's a little different 
Yeah, so the, the peer review board, uh, a lot of people get lost from that. So my deck commander, my acting, the fake deck commander, right, during school, you have a deck commander, he, uh, he got tossed at the board. Now, I know that um, Marines uh, voted him. We, 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 he didn't get high grades from us. Um, he was very – he focused on the wrong things, and it was all about how um, it made him look, and that's never yeah. a good idea for a leader. Um, I, uh, so, you know, since you tooted your own horn, I'm going to toot mine. I got to the board as well, and out of the seven Marines there, I was voted the, I was the, the highest voting of being a good peer. And I also got some very bullshit questions where we had – so the Master Gunnery Sergeant Brionis, and I remember his name because I saw him later – uh, when I was, when I was a DS agent, when I was training, he was a civilian there and he was helping out. And then the Sergeant Major, and I forget. So there, so Master Guns, Master Guns and Sergeant Major are the same rank. They are E, what, E9s, right? Yeah. yeah. E9, E9s. And, um, and they kind of battle each other. One was from the East Coast, one was from the West Coast. So I remember them battling it out and be like, Marine, Cody, uh, Cody, uh, at the time I was Lance Corporal Peron, Peron. And, uh, you know, which, where did you go to boot camp? And of course I said, you know, San Diego. And then I think the Sergeant Major was like, yeah, San Diego. And, and, uh, and so that was, that was tough. Uh, the, the questions were not hard. And then so, but, but, but to your point to, to, I got to the psych, the psyche vow. And I think because of my ranking between my peers, and I imagine you didn't say it, but I imagine your ranking was pretty high between your peers. That's why they gave you some really easy questions yeah. and why you got your DC post. And we're going to talk about what a DC post is here in a minute. Uh, but, uh, the, 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 it uh, was a lieutenant commander or something or commander in yeah. the Navy uh, psych guy says, so name the, he, I thought he, th- I think he thought he was giving me like a, an easy one. And he said, name the, 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 the ranks in uh, the Navy, like the uh, officer ranks. And dude, right. I learned oh, that. Man. I learned that in boot camp. And I, would you say uh, earlier, like a data dump? I just didn't remember. So I started going up and I, I got like four or five and, uh, and he said, you mean to tell me you don't mother remember the ranks? And I, I, I was pretty confident. I think the, the, the Marines on the panel appreciated. I was like, I'm, that's exactly what I'm telling you, sir. I do not remember the ranks of, of the Navy. And, you know, the Marines are, like, fucking eating this up. Like, ah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so at the time, I was, I was kind of upset about it. Uh, you know, like, damn, I should have got that. But I feel like it almost benefited me with all the other Marines and civilians on the panel, which I think some of the civilians, like the other one civilian was might've been a Marine. Cause there's a lot of Marines in DS, you know, it's a DS agent that's on the panel. Yeah. And, uh, and I, yeah, and I said, I, I don't remember the ranks of the Navy. Uh, and that's part of that confidence where, sorry, man, I gave you my yeah. best shot. I don't know. Uh, don't know and, and then I, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm very confident that I ended it with, but I will find out the answer because that's how I'll yeah, yeah. things like that. I don't know it, that answer. It. Yep. Yep. Got to end with that. I don't know that answer, but I will find out. And so for any of you future DS agents listening, uh, you'll talk to Marines at some point. And, and if the ones who are real serious that haven't kind of civilianized when they get to the program, they might say, uh, I'm sorry, sir or ma'am. I don't know that answer, but I will find out. And that's part of the Marine Corps for you. So, or, or if they, or if they're like a little too cocky and confident in their answer, they may be bullshitting you. They just been on a lot of boards. <laughs> That's <laughs> I, like staff Sergeant Kyle says. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so do you remember going through the portion of, um, 
of training where they, well, the background check portion. So, you know, these days, if we do an SF-86, right, we, we, uh, as a, as a contractor or a civilian, you do your own SF-86, but back in the Marine Corps or MSG school, they, they assisted you with getting that SF-86 done. I don't think right. I knew that that was going on at the time, um, but they did. And so, do you recall standing in line to go into an office to speak with one of the, you know, instructors about your time and, and, and asking questions about your drinking, et cetera, et cetera? Yes. But I, uh, how do I word this? I got coached up before I did it by my first sergeant when I was okay. in the fleet. I got really coached up. Uh, and, you know, so when he brought me and started the body into his office before we went, because I mean, he, he was fresh off the program. Um, I think he got promoted while he was on the program to first sergeant and then we were in his next unit. So he was like, how much you guys drink? And we're like, shit, man. Like, damn, I don't know. And then, <laughs> and then he was like, no, no, no. He was like, uh, and then he kept narrowing it down and then he gave us every scenario. He's like, you can't say you have one or two beers. So at the end of the story, the last question, like before we left, it's like, how much do you drink? I only have one or two beers on special occasions, like my birthday and New Year's. It, it went from like drinking a damn 12 pack a day to like special occasions. And that's what I stuck with special occasions, like two or three times a year. Um, because anything other than that, like you can get made out to be an alcoholic. Like, you know, oh, you have one beer during dinner. Oh, you know, you're an alcoholic. You have 31 beers a month and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so we got coached up. The drinking was a big one. Um, I feel like there's probably a lot of infantry Marines that get coached up before they go on the program um, about their drinking. Yeah, so I wasn't one of them that was coached up. And so I'm going to tell you my story. I set you up for this because I wanted to, to share this with the audience. It's, it's, a, it's a knock on me. Uh, I was, in fact, an integrity violator, which you were as well, sir. Uh, yes, but sir. In, this, in this case, it's okay. Um, I was standing in line about to go in when I was coached up by an individual that came out and, and, you know, I, I, my first beer was probably at 13 in the tree line behind my house with my neighbors with a 40 of old English or something like that's my first time I drank. <laughs> and, you know, I had several from like initiation <laughs> and then of course in, in the infantry for a couple of years, uh, it, you know, and I was pretty good when I was in the grunts because I was like, you know what, I was underage and I was big on not getting in too much fucking trouble. Of course, I got in fights all the time, but whatever. Um, so, so, so anyway, so I, so the guy comes and tells me, he's like, man, they really drill you on, really drill you on drinking. You got to get out of him. I'm like th number third in line. I'm like, oh God, I hope I get this one guy that's pretty cool because this other guy's a really an asshole. <clears throat> and I get the guy that was an asshole. And so when I get up there, I tell him, you know, at the time I was like, I was jacked. I was uh, what I would consider not a, 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 a disgusting looking Marine. Like I, I dressed well, I, I carried myself well, uh, you know, I played sports and stuff. And, and uh, he, has, he says, so do you drink? No, sir. Or no, stat, no gunny. <laughs> you don't drink at all. No gunny. When's the, was, so you never had a drink. Well, you know, my sister got married and I had a glass of wine 
And he's like, no way in hell does this dude believe me. But, dude, I stuck to my guns. It's like, really? I can't remember. Unless someone gave me something that I really didn't know. Yeah. And I was like, I'm being funny about it now, but I was being like a scare. I was scared. I was fearful that I would not get on the on the program. So I wasn't lying like, oh, I'm cool. I'm just messing with him. I was really fearful of – I was lying like my ass oh. off. Yeah. No, I, I put that shit in my brain like this is what I'm doing. And then, you know, someone at some point said, like, oh, there's some things you just take to the grave. And I'm like, all right, I'm taking this to the grave. Yeah. Because, there's, because I realistic. And I was like, I just got out the grunts for four years, man. There's no way in hell I'm going back there for four more. <laughs> like, that was my motivation. Like, I'll do what it takes. Like, you know, like, hey, you know, like, I'm, I'm rolling with this. This is my story. This is who I am now. I only drink on special occasions, you know? Yeah. Uh, I got out of there. I wasn't sure what was going to happen, but. You know, I made it. But uh, to your point about going back to the grunts, you know, I was in 29 Palms and there was a guy that came with me that was there and he wasn't doing well. The thing is, he wasn't a shit bag. He was a good fella. Like I liked him. He was actually probably would have done well as in like his personality because he was, yeah. I don't know, I don't know about his discipline and, you know, he, if, he was, if he was sloppy and stuff because he was in a different platoon, but he was very polite and very, you know, just like a guy that I think would have fit in with the civilians in the State mm -hmm. Department. But he wasn't doing well. He was about to fail. And he asked me to crush his finger into the very heavy doors inside posts. You remember at, at, MSU, yeah. at MSU Battalion, at Marshall Hall was the name of the place. And it's different these days. So when I have the new the, the Marine on, that whoever, whichever Marine comes on, um, you know, to, to talk about it. But at Marshall Hall, so the doors are, very, are the exact same doors that you have. The doors, MC, yeah. Very heavy, um, hardline, hardline doors. And so he asked me to crush his finger in this door so that he could get recycled. And in my head, I'm thinking, thinking two things. I'm like, well, one, this guy is, uh, he's not going to make it because he's not doing well. Like, they're not going to say, oh, you crushed your finger. Let me give you another shot. So it's like, this makes no sense to me. And two is like, I'm not crushing your finger, dude. Like, somehow this is going to get out. Yeah. And There's cameras everywhere. Everywhere. Everywhere like, there. It's not like in the embassy where they're watching outside. They're not watching the Marine and Post. In MSG school, they're watching you down the hallways. They're watching everything you do, and uh, and and I knew that. And maybe he knew it or not. I don't. I don't think he was trying to get me in trouble. I'm, I'm confident he was not trying to get me in trouble. He just wanted to not go back to 29 Palms, which is the worst <laughs> place in the Marine Corps. And it's like, listen, man, I can't do it. Like, I can't. I can't do it. Sorry. You know, uh, it's just that was not. I too was not going back to 29 Palms after. <laughs> yeah. Years there, <laughs> you're, you're both going to 29 Palms. You did that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, uh, we avoided. So, uh, so you were selected for a DC post. So, a DC means designated country, excuse me. And I want to talk a little bit about designated countries. Um, and then you tell me, I want to hear your side, but so designated countries are basically, and, and the reason I'm going to take this one is because I know saying the wrong thing is actually classified. Um, so, so. Designated countries are countries where the country's capabilities and willingness to garner information from us, garner intelligence from us, are very high. So oftentimes adversaries, hostile countries. So, and you were chosen for DC Post. You mentioned why you were likely chosen. Uh, probably a number of reasons. Um, and, and I was chosen for a DC Post. And do you recall the extra training we got to go to a DC Post? I recall a little bit of it, and I, I remember, I think it was like the last two weeks uh, we were in school, we had the training, 
Um, I don't remember too much of it. I do remember like the feeling that, you know, like, you know, one, you're already on embassy duty. So you're a small group of people. You've made it this far in school, even a smaller group of people. Now you're, now you're DC uh, guy. I don't, I don't necessarily, I remember we going to, I think it was like one of the state department. You probably know this better. We went somewhere that, you know, the state department trains, uh, we went there for training. Um, and I remember it was more of like, I would say like more of like a gentleman kind of training, right. Instead of like hardcore Marine Corps type of training, it was more like gentleman training. 100%. Um, so, you know, that, that part was good. I don't necessarily remember like the specifics that we had, um, the specific things that we did um as far as like the training but i do slightly remember sort of like the feeling the overall feeling of like the training and how the training went yeah and and, and quite honestly i don't remember the the specifics of it either i do re- recall uh going there and i missed I actually missed our etiquette training so for whatever reason i think there were some scheduling issues so you talked about etiquette training where yeah you know, you learn to eat with whatever fork or utensil is on the outside first and go down the line and, and you know, these different things that, that literally Marine security guards are trained to do. And I, I, I remember missing the etiquette training and going to uh, DS training center. So it's DS 11. So now I know that because I went there yeah. as an agent. Um, and I recall them, uh, you know, talking to us about uh, what could happen at post um, the type of individuals that uh, um, are targets at post and why we were selected, right? Why, why, why um, we made the cut. There's a number of reasons. And, and one of them we'll talk about here and, and, and Clayton Lone Tree, you may remember that name. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and so and then I remember an example they gave of a camera and they're like, look, you're on camera. Basically it's a hidden camera. And, and so that's, that's about as far as I'll go into to, to that. But, it's additional training for Marines that already to get into MSG school and to graduate from MSG school, you're, you're, you would be in a, quite the exception, right? We talked about 55% attrition rate. Um, you already, to get there, it's pretty hard. You got to go through this rigorous background check. You go through a number of, yeah. of uh, people approving you to be there. And then you finally get there and then you got to pass all these tests, physical tests. Yes. Mental tests. Yes. Um, uh, Technical tests like techniques with the PR24, techniques mm-hmm. with the striking, techniques, how to manage posts, how to communicate, how to articulate yourself. Um, but this was another level. This was for those that were selected as, as the top people and maybe not the most physical or like guys going to defend an embassy the best, but those that will not be a target of a foreign intelligence service, and which is a key term that we learned there and then and we, we learned uh, – and I learned as a DS agent as well. Um, and so Moscow was one of those places. And uh, we all, you know, we were, we were selected for, but we do get an additional uh, training to go to these places and you are selected for, for a different reason. Um, have you, during your time, so with that said, during your time in Moscow, um, were you approached by anyone you thought was trying to garner information? Um, yeah, I mean, we had a couple, we had a couple scenarios. Um, one time we were out and we're at a bar and we were talking to this one, well, you know, we're at a bar 
and this Russian national was just chopping it up with us. Um, and then he called someone by their first name when nobody has mentioned names. Um, and then we all kind of looked at him and he looked at us and kind of knew like covers bone. So got the hell out of there. Uh, there was another time you remember that uh, there was a few of us that were going to go to Estonia. Uh, but two guys got caught up with some girls that we all kind of knew and hung out with. Um, you remember that situation where they could not go to Estonia with us and they were all butt hurt because they couldn't go. Uh, and there was other times that, you know, they showed us pictures of us getting followed and traced and things like that. Um, we hung out a bar that, you know, the mafia was not too keen of. Um, but as far as like someone walking up to me directly and trying to get some information from me directly, I, I not have that. Uh, but I was just around when it happened to like either others or us as a group. Yeah. Good points. Ton of suspicious stuff happening. And, and what's interesting is the control they had over those girls. So I remember those girls. Uh, yeah. They were nice people that definitely weren't working for the government, but obviously somebody uh, got in contact with them. And yep said whatever they said um i had a few incidents i had a couple incidents and they weren't well well one was directed at me and I, i'm I, i'm not 100 percent sure that it it was just too suspect that i was I, I reported but it was a girl that i was on a date with we were walking down to novi arbot which is the new market right and um and she's like what happens in that building what's going on there like so there's two buildings in moscow right there's an eob which is the existing office building the old embassy and then the new build new building and she started asking too many questions. I cut the date. I was like, yeah, yo, I got to go. And so we ended up bouncing. I've, I've said this somewhere on a podcast or one of my stories on Patreon, yeah. Patreon account. Um, but the other one was with uh, with a guy named King. You remember King, Corporal King? No, I don't remember that name. So I th you might have gone because he was pretty new towards the end. Good guy. He actually retired recently. He was a sergeant mate. No, he was a master sergeant. Um, but but uh, our first sergeant. But he he arrived and he's a good old boy from Mississippi. Talk like this, and we're gonna go out and party, Peron, and we're gonna do this stuff. And so we did. We ended up going out one day, and uh, we were all sitting at that table up at Doug and Marty's, which we called yep. Chesterfields. Which, yep. for those of you listening, by the way, was a bar in Moscow owned by a Canadian and a uh, British guy. British. And on the wall, when you walked in this like receiving area, which was, I remember, imagine a, a dark bar with music playing and there's a coat check office. And on the left is a huge wall. You know, that huge wall was an Eagle Globe and Anchor, which is the Marine Corps emblem. And we would walk in and we would smack that Eagle Globe and Anchor and these several uh, uh, bouncers that are massive in size would open up and just let us walk through like the oceans opened and yes. uh and we would walk through and so but at doug and marty so they treat us well so you remember that that area where on your what 21st or 23rd birthday you yeah you had some yeah. fun um had some it's fun. it's it was basically an elevated area kind of overlooking the bar and we're all sitting there and this one guy uh and, and it was our space right because it was an area to the left of us that was uh you remember was like another smaller table and then yeah a few others and this guy walked up uh, didn't know who he was, had nerve to walk up to where a bunch of Marines were. He didn't know we were Marines, but it was like a bunch of dudes sitting there, obviously our own little gathering, and sat down and, and you know, talked to us and uh, was asking about us. And I feel like he used the guy's first name as well. 
but I'm not sure, but something suspicious. So we're like, all right, this is odd. He speaks great English. He's talking to us, but he's sitting next to the new guy who was a target. We're going to talk about Clayton Lowntree in a minute and, and what makes a target, right? What makes someone uh, a person of interest to, to foreign intelligence services. Um, and uh, he asked the question, you know, well, well what did you guys do? And, and so I, I think King was like, uh, you know, I was a Marine. And the guy said, and, and I, I recall, I was the one to ask the question. I said, what do you do? Because I was kind of suspect of it. He's like, well, I work for the Russian government. I work, or, or I work for the Russian. It was enough to, to be like, whoa. And that's one of the approaches they have, right? One of the approaches, the direct approach, like, look, I work for foreign government. I work for the foreign intelligence service, for the Russian intelligence service. Do you want to help me? Another one is the honey trap. And there's the, you know, a, a, a number of different approaches. Anyway, can't remember them all right now. But that was one of them. So when he said that, we're like, hey, man, you need to leave. And he's like, no, I'm just talking with you. I didn't. I remember, like, it was like clockwork. We all stood up. And we're not small guys. You know, yeah. we're all, we're all, we all work out. Moscow's all there is to do stand post, work out, and go out and party. And we all stood up, like, you need to get the fuck out of here. And so this guy ends up leaving. And, but I remember that, like, yesterday, that it was such a, 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 a direct approach a very uh, bold approach for this yeah. individual to come up and say that in front of these group of people. Now probably he probably had some type of backup there, you know, cause you know, Jason, we had some times where we might've uh, taken care of business inside that bar. Yes. We physically, have. physically, if uh, people didn't act, you know, disrespected us, but that's what young Marines do. We had, we had some fights for people, for people wondering, there were some fights there. Um, but that was my that was that was the approach that I remember the most. Um, it, it wasn't towards me, but I remember I was sitting next to him because he was yeah. part of our squad. Uh, and definitely, actually, you know, you know, because you were part, you were second squad too, so you were gone because he was, I think, he was second squad. But uh, I want to talk a little bit about Clayton Lone Tree. You remember, you remember the name Clayton Lone Tree, right? Um, yeah, there's, there's a book called Dancing with the Devil, um, where he was seduced by a Russian. Uh, uh, a lady named Violetta and eventually this is the early eighties and eventually he was, uh, you know, he transferred from U.S. Embassy Moscow to U.S. Embassy Vienna in Austria and uh, was captured, was caught uh, giving blueprints and giving the names of CIA officials at each embassy and was prosecuted. And we were told uh, about Clayton Lone Tree um, and I forget what's this book on the reading list. We, we, we had a reading list and it's called dancing with the devil was the book. And I read it because yeah. either they asked me to read it or, or recommend that I read it. Or they told us to read it. I forget, but I read it. Um, and he did some pretty severe damage to the Marine security guard battalion. Um, so Clayton Lone Tree. So do you remember any of the indicators of individuals that are, uh, or, uh, easy targets. I, I think so. And now that you mentioned that, I'm pretty sure that was part of the training, right? That we that we had. Uh, and it was sort of like you know someone who's a loner, um, someone who's in like, uh, you know, like bad with their finances. You remember? I I think that was one of the things that we had to do prior to going to the program. Like while we were still in our original unit, like. We had to disclose something about our finances. They had to make sure that we were not going to be able to be bought out, right? Um, even though like we're 21, we're not making any money. Uh, but I think they were just checking, like, make sure you wasn't like, you know, bouncing checks all the time and things like that. 
so, you know, and I remember the training them talking about like a soft target and hard target and what makes a person like a soft target, right? Uh, and I remember thinking of specific people. I don't want to give out their names here, but there was like a specific thing that we had in Russia that I was always talking to myself, like, dude, this dude is like the epitome of a soft target. He could be easily manipulated by women, right? Because he wasn't like, he wasn't like a ladies man. And, you know, like in countries like Russia, you know, I think they use their women to their advantage. Um, so, yeah, someone who's like a loner, doesn't go out, doesn't hang out with the group, um, things like that. But you probably know a little bit more about, you know, being a softer target uh, than I do. But I do remember a little bit about it. No, 100%. You, you hit the big ones on the head. Uh, yeah, being a loner, right, sticking to yourself, not really uh, – having the interpersonal skill set or yeah. the uh, relationship building skill set. Um, finances, you mentioned, fi- I actually forgot about finances, but you're right. They're all over the, the SF-86, but they do talk about finances. Um, but one, one of them, and whether uh, it, nobody says it, but you just kind of alluded to it, is attractiveness. Yes. Someone who is not the most attractive, and all of a sudden you're getting hit on by a 10, and you're, uh, you know, one and a half a two yeah exactly so you know and they used to say that it, it was great about the Marine Corps there's a lot of things great about the Marine Corps a lot of things that we reasons we got out right but they're very direct I'm like listen if you're getting hit on if you're a two and you're getting hit on by a 10 there's an issue there and that was yeah. that was like the best training ever that that, that right there the yeah. problem is you got to recognize that you're a two right because there's some reason maybe maybe don't recognize that they're two um but 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 yeah, all of those being a loner, finances, uh, not um, being good with the ladies, I guess, uh, makes people a target. And Clayton Lone Tree was, and he gave the Marine Corps a, a black eye, and that's how the DC, the designated country program with the Marine Corps started, and that's how they developed. Like, look, we need to, we need to dig deeper into who we select to come to these posts, um, and it was there a long time before you and I got there. It was almost twenty years because I think Lone Tree was in the eighties, and he got like he got he confessed like an eighty-seven or something. But yeah, uh, but but that was part of it. Um, so one thing I want to talk about was the lifestyle as an MSG, um, and I know we're still in Moscow, and I and I, and I want to. Well, I mean, we we could kind of get into Moscow and Columbia here, but what what type of lifestyle did you have as a Marine security? Let's go talk about Moscow in particular. Uh, where did you live? You know, what were you able to do? What you were, what were you allowed to do those days, right? Because things have changed a little bit. Yeah, those days. Um, when I first got there, I lived in, you know, the Marine house that we had, which I think we had 30-something Marines. I think maybe like 10 or 12 of us lived in an actual Marine house. Um, and our Marine house, you know, had rooms, had a kitchen, dining table, had a full-size bar, you know, uh, had like a little outdoor bar, had a killer uh, TV room, big screen TV, things like that. So I lived there for like the first couple months that we were in post. Uh, And then from there, uh, the embassy in Moscow has like apartment buildings on the compound also that, you know, civilians that work at the embassy live in. Uh, Since we didn't have enough space in the Marine house, seniority ruled. So like once you became senior enough you moved out into one of the apartments and had like i think two or three other roommates so i lived in an apartment for the rest of my time a couple months in the marine house and then the rest of the time in an apartment um that was on the embassy compound so you know 
the living in Russia was super nice. I mean, yeah, you could probably have some Marines on here that went to some other embassies and had a, lived in a damn castle out in town. You, you know, I never was at a post that did that. Both of my posts, Moscow and Bogota, I lived on the embassy grounds. Um, but, you know, the life was good. I mean, we had a cook, Carlos. Uh, he was solid, solid guy, cooked some food. Uh, with a bigger post, it's kind of different than a little a smaller post and I'm, I, we'll probably talk about smaller posts but for being 33 marines you're cooking for a lot of people um so you know breakfast was to order but he also had some generic stuff that you could go grab like scrambled eggs bacon all that other good stuff uh lunches and dinner was always you know provided for you um we had happy hours at the marine house so mbc people would come over you know on a friday uh, I think we, I think originally we were having like two a month, but then, you know, once 9-11 happened, I think maybe we had like maybe one before I left after 9-11. Um, but those were, those were great times. I mean, I, I think the happy hours did more for the Marines than anything else because you built relationships at these happy hours with other embassy personnel. Uh, and just like anything in life, man, relationships can go a long way. Uh, you get to meet some people, they get to understand who you are. You get to understand who they are because I mean, you know, typically in an embassy, you know, that's that big, you see a lot of people all day and you have no idea like what they're doing, you know, you know, what they're going through. So you get to talk to some people. It's a pretty good time. Um, but the life for anybody that's thinking about going to MSG program, man, it's not like the Marine Corps. You should do it. Um, the life is amazing. You got drivers, you know, you're in an armored van and you got some diplomatic fates. You could do some things in those vans that you can't do in a regular car with, you know, regular license plate. Uh, if you see the president driving by and you want to jump in his motorcade because you're trying to get to Red Square to meet some chicks, hey, your driver will probably do it. Uh, <laughs> it may have happened once or twice. Ha yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the living is... It's great. I mean, there's absolutely like no complaints, you know. Oh, uh, that that's great. I want to caveat that that's how it was, and and a lot of that still exists. So, so um, you're right about the castles, by the way. I think it was Finland and a few others. Yeah, were, yeah. To to entice Marines to come on the program and to for whatever reason, Marines get some really good living quarters. They're not just like finding you some BS living quarters because you're out there by yourself. There's five or six Marines, and they're like. Oh, uh, you know, you're not with the rest of the Marine Corps. We really want to take care of you. And to me, I was like, Roger, that I'm not with the rest of the Marine Corps. Like, I'm going to fucking hang out by myself, you know, with with different groups, with with, with different Marines, similar mindset, whatever. And so, um, but to your point, we have drivers. Our, our Marine security have drivers. Um, they have uh, uh, the cooks. They have sometimes cleaning folks that can do their laundry. Yep. Um, they're responsible for their own rooms and they're responsible sometimes for different things like the kitchen or whatever, or, or in our case, the BEQ, the barracks and listen. Well, we call it the BEQ. That was a Marine house. It was because that was a BEQ. Uh, what was it called? Your collateral duty, the BEQ yeah. Marine or BEQ, whatever. NCO. Yeah. Make sure it was clean or whatever um, for a while. And I did the same thing. I was, I was in the Marine house and then they did construction of the Marine house. So the remainder of my time, probably about the same time you went to, yeah. the apartments i went to apartments as well um but marines it's, it's i don't know if it's to entice marines to come out there they just take care of you like yo they know marines will not be able to handle themselves in a foreign country to get their own laundry done 
you know, or even do their own laundry. I don't know, but they sure take care of us. Um, and, and like you said, Carlos, our cook, uh, cooked for us. Uh, now we had the, I thought we had the ability to cook our own. You may remember some yeah. late nights. Yeah, late nights, uh, five in the morning. Early in the mornings, rolling yep. back, cooking bacon, going out back again at six. So it was a, a pretty interesting time. Um, and you mentioned about every every two weeks, um, you know, the parties or the happy hours or whatever, or Marine House parties. And it's not – I don't – it's changed over the years. And actually, while, while I was an ARSO, there were some back and forth on, on what you – what you what qualified as a marine house party like they had to be like some i'm gonna i'm gonna misarticulate this but some type of event like it's a charity for something so that's how you can have a party back then we could just have a party to have a party every two weeks we had a party we had a party like, we were raising money for the marine corps raising ball. money for the marine corps ball was what we said and sure yeah. we were i guess i never I, whatever and and people came and what what i think back then it's unique that didn't happen now and i want to i want to have a caveat that I brought in the Marine Detachment in Ho Chi Minh City. So it's still very new. The Baghdad was too big. Erbil was brand new as well. But most so, – so so I don't know really as an heir or so what it was when I was an heir or so. Like if, if, if the whole embassy revolved around the Marine Detachment. But when we were in, everything revolved around the Marine Detachment. When I say everything, yeah. like the social life. Hey, are the Marines having a party? Yeah. Hey, it, was, no. it was all about it. And especially, you know, like when I was in Columbia, man, that was the place to be on a Friday evening. That was if the Marines were having a happy hour, that was the place to be. It was always a starting point yeah. because it was right after, you know, right after work, people would roll in, they would drink, people would work late, have some beers, like, yo, let's go out. And we'd all, and we, and you could take people in the Marine van. You could take people that are not Marines, the Marine van or the Marine vehicle, suburban, whatever. And then now you're impressing people. So if there was someone you might want to impress, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, you could say, oh, it's coming the Marine vehicle. You don't need to take a taxi. And then you get them in this suburban or this van. And it's like catered service, right? Yeah. Ballet to where you want to yeah. go. Um, and, and in Moscow, uh, at, at some point when we moved out, and I, I don't know if you were here for this, but when we moved out of the uh, – the, the Marine house and we all lived in the apartments. We didn't have a bar. So they gave us this space. GSO gave us a space that was the new Marine bar. Did you, were you a part of that? Did you remember that space? No, they started the construction like two days before I left. Okay. So we went to the space. that was, there was now the Marine bar, but it had to be, it wasn't our house. So people were more like, Oh man, can we just get in there and have a few drinks? You know, cause at their house, they kind of want to back off. Like it's your house. You know, yeah. the bar inside your house, a big bar. It's always a nice bar, by the way. It's not like we have a little. Yeah, it's not like a little bar. It's not like a little home bar. It's like a bar bar. Like you're going out in town yeah. and having a, a drink at a real bar. And, and oftentimes it's Marine, like, uh, not paraphernalia. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, this Marine traditionalist, you name it. Like I always had the Marine security guard battalion painted on the wall yeah right there's right. all this marine corps history around they have all the marine detachment they have all of our faces and our bios and like we're like you're like a, a star it's fantastic um or it was and and uh and you do that and so anyway but the new bar in moscow was was pretty cool it was bigger than the marine house uh bar and and but people at that point this was after 9-11 as well um, and people would like, Hey, can we just swing by? And so as you become more senior there, 
build more personal capital, right? She said building relationships, right? Even whether it's with deck commander or whoever, yeah, man, we'll get you in. So let's go, let's go have a few drinks. And so we started doing that. And so like Friday nights after work, we were just having drinks with a few people at the Marine bar. Uh, you can't really do that anymore. Like you can invite a, a friend over, you know, and, and, and have a drink. Um, but, uh, but we were, we were doing that and that was, but literally everything on fr- social life, particularly on, on the weekends. Let me not say weekdays. I don't know what diplomats did on the weekdays, but, um, but on the weekends, everything evolved around, are the Marines having a party or Marines having a happy hour? And what are we doing after? And I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, that was that was always fun. How was that in uh how was that in Bogota though? Was it was it similar? Was it much different? Very, very similar. Uh sort of sort of like it was in, you know, Moscow, like after 9-11, where you know, like every Friday you guys have a couple people. Uh the big difference in Bogota is Bogota had a fairly large um military group of people that were there um and they st- some of them stayed on compound and worked for you know days at a time whatever um so we would always have these guys over the marine house so sometimes it would just be us and these guys you know like on a damn tuesday just you know kicking a couple back um but yeah the the place to be on a friday was the marine house i would say we probably had more people at our parties in Bogota than we did in Moscow. Um, Bogota, but you know, the, the embassy, the compound was easier to get into in Bogota. You know, it was a total different, Bogota was more of a physical threat than a counterintelligence threat, right? So as long as, you know, they were not part of the FARC trying to, you know, blow something up, they were pretty much cleared. Um, so it was more like exclusive, you know, like people go out in town, like everybody knew about these parties that we had at the Marine House. Like we'd go to different bars and people were like, oh, can I come to the Marine House to a party? And it was kind of like exclusive, like, oh, you know, you're 10. Yeah, we'll get you in, you know, kind of that thing. Uh, but it was good. I mean, but yeah, it was, it was sort of the same thing. It, it was like the place to be, a lot of, lot of relationship building, um, fun, super fun environment. A little bit more fun, a lot more relaxed. Boca, I mean, Moscow was kind of high strung, if you remember. Uh, Bogota was like complete opposite. It's like relaxed. Like even if you look at, you know, on the program, like Moscow, curfew, you were back at curfew. There was no if, ands, or buts. You were hauling ass down the street running full sprint to make it back by 05. Colombia was like, mm, you know, the curfew was like a suggestion. Oh, well, maybe you should be home by 3 o'clock in the morning. But you know, you rolled in at five. Nobody's going to say something. Yeah, there was certain, certainly a significant amount more of rigidity in Moscow and how yeah. we performed and what we did. And to your point about Bogota, and I, I, I recognize this when I was at my second post, um, but, you know, people in town knew about the Marine House parties. Like they knew about, I mean, there, there are countries in the Middle East where people wait in line. They get on, not wait in line. They get on a, a waiting list to get into the Marine House parties because there's only, this the only place where there's alcohol. Right? Yeah. We can get alcohol at Marine House parties. Remember those guys uh, were getting Rolexes as going away gifts because they were bringing in so much money. Uh, uh, I'm going to say, I don't remember uh, because that's not approved to get Rolexes for all. Yeah, the- no, it's definitely <laughs> not. They, they put a yeah. kibosh to that shit. Yeah. So the people that don't know the way, the way that, 
the Marine bar used to work was after your ball, your books are supposed to be clear. I was a bar until in both places. So with that being said, so you're supposed to, after the Marine Corps ball, you, you make a shit ton of money and it all goes to the ball. So the idea is to make it cost effective for like the Marines and the people that's going. So instead of charging $200 for a ticket, charge 50 bucks for a ticket. And the Marine bar pays for everything, right? Like the food, the place, all that stuff. So you don't have to push that on to the people that's coming. So after the ball is over, you're supposed to like stock up on all your alcohol and it's supposed to be zero. Um, so one thing you could do, like if you're not zero, like if you got an excess, excess of money after you already stocked up on your beer, you could buy Marines going away gifts. So right before we went on the program, they stopped the going away gifts because some places they, they're ridiculous. Middle East, they're ridiculous because they make a ton of money. But there are some places that didn't make any money. Those guys were, you know, getting a pat on the back. You know, thanks for being here. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And and a bar NCO is is what's called is a collateral duty. And so Marines, while they stand post, this is for the listeners, obviously, you know this. Uh Marines will stand post and and on a daily basis it's right pushing a button, getting people in, uh doing patrols. Uh, but you know, we have the capability to respond and react and we do drills. Um but we also have collateral duties, extra duties. And one of, like I said, mine earlier, I kind of just grazed over it, but I was the BEQ NCO, so the Marine House NCO, making sure it was clean, making sure it was orderly. Uh, there were no people coming in that shouldn't be there, making sure people signed in the book, yeah. that type of stuff. And then you were the bar NCO. So you managed the money after the events, you counted the money, you kept mm-hmm. the ledger or, you know, the budget. And, and, uh, and so that's just a little background on that. I want to go back to Moscow for a second, because we had some unique trade. Moscow was unique in a bunch of different ways. Yeah. It, it, internally, uh, with regard to training, do you recall the rigorous training we went through uh, for Mike Two and Mike Six, and and things about that? Ridiculous, ridiculous. Um, so you know, Mike Two, Mike Six are rovers. So in order to be a rover, you got to do like all this. We'll call it rigorous training because it it is, and that's a lot of memorization. Imagine going to one of the largest office spaces you've ever been to, close your eyes, and know where every light switch is, every door, every window, every damn microwave, everything, everything about the building. Like, hey, I'm going to take two steps, and I'm going to hit a chair, and then three steps to the left, blah, 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 this, this, and that. So you got to know all that stuff. So basically, imagine being in an embassy blindfolded and and walking someone and telling them where everything is. Uh, that's the rover. And then not only do you got to do that for uh, one building, you have to do it for every, in Moscow, which was like three separate buildings. You got to do it for all three. Uh, So there's a lot of memorization, man. And you got to, there's a lot of different keys. There's a lot of different elements to it that people just don't see because like, even if you are, even if you are an embassy employee in Russia, you probably never step foot in the existing office building. And if you have, maybe on the first and second floor, not the north and south wing, uh, all the way up to the 11th floor and down into the basement. Who sees that? Nobody but the Marines. And you got to know everything, the ins and outs about it, uh, what things are called. Um, it was definitely, it's, it's nothing you can procrastinate on, that's for sure. Like, you have to put in the work to know all that stuff. Um, and, and it was it was it was tough. And then also at the same time, you got to be able to 
manage a reactionary drill. So, you know, when it's your time to get mic six, um, we had drills all the time in Russia. I don't remember the frequency of them, Cody. Maybe you do. Was it once a week or twice I think a it week. was twice a week, twice a week. You know, we have reactionary drills and they're just random. Uh, so they had called out, you know, intruder in the EOB. So you got to grab your shit, haul ass over to the existing office building and you got to be able to direct Marines and you got to be able to not just direct them to their death, but you got to direct them in the correct way. Um, and some people, and what Cody's alluding to earlier, we had a lot of combat. We had a lot of combat Marines, not necessarily been in combat, but combat, combat arms, there. combat arms. There we go. Yeah. Uh, combat our Marines. So that wasn't necessarily foreign to them, but you got some other Marines that have been here for four years and like, they've been, you know, a mechanic, like they haven't had that experience. Uh, so that's a little bit difficult for them. Uh, I think that was a little bit easier for myself and Cody. I think we both passed on our first time, which at the time it, it wasn't, it wasn't out of the norm for people to not pass on their first time. I think a lot of people did not pass on their first time. Uh, we passed on our first time. Uh, they make it hectic. Uh, they definitely make it hectic. They try to throw in some other elements in there uh, to keep it interesting to see how you work under pressure. Um, but yeah, that's tough. And I don't know if there's any other embassy out there that does that. I've never heard of it. I think Russia might've been the only. I, I would agree. I, I think so. And, and I, I feel like I heard maybe Cairo try, cause Cairo was big back then. Cairo was big back then. Yeah. It was Moscow and Cairo, the two biggest, I think yeah. back, back in those days. It, it, Baghdad supersedes both now. I, I from my from my recollection but yeah so to to your point uh, and and you 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 kind of did my job for me is our, our light switches is what i was remembering yeah and so like mike two would be mike two's so mike is just marine right it's, it's you know alpha bravo charlie delta etc so you get to him yeah, it's mike and mike two is the rover for for certain levels of the con the embassy uh, at one embassy. So there were two embassy buildings in Moscow. I'm just giving a little background for the listeners, JT. Yep. And, and, um, and so you were that, that person. And then uh, Mike six was uh, certain other levels. And Mike six was in charge of the whole compound basically. Um, and Mike six is when you had to do those drills and when you had to be the one that made the decisions. Um, there's also for the test. There's also Mike 8, which is the, the senior person in the existing office building, which is the old office building. And I forget, did we have to drill for Mike 8? I think we did, right? It wasn't Yeah, a, you did. Yeah. You did. So we had to drill. So you get there and you could stand post in uniform and not be a rover and you can be fine. And then you had to, to test to get to all these other levels. And it's expected that you, as you become more senior at post, at meaning time, in, time at post, you go through these uh, different scenarios. And so it was Mike two, then Mike eight, then Mike six. And uh, yeah, by the time you get to Mike six, you needed to know everything from Mike two, everything from Mike eight, a key ring. And this sounds like boring security guard stuff, but a key ring that was like the whole ring was almost taken with keys. And you got to know where every single key goes on a dime, right? What yeah. does this key go to? This goes to this, this, and this, and they weren't labeled. There wasn't no like insignia on them. There was nothing that I recall that was there. It's like, I just know that, I mean, it might have had a color code or something, but like, it wasn't like you can refer to the color on the key and refer to a chart. It didn't work like that. You had to remember those keys. And that means for six months. And I think around six months is when you did the test. That right. so it was called Sergeant of the Guard test. And that's for Mike six, Marine six, which is the head of security for the Marine detachment while on duty is the 
best way I can put it. Um, and you had to know where every key went. You had to know where every light switch was, where every break room was, where all the entries and exits were. And I honestly helped me out later in life. Right? I do this stuff on off the X on my on my on my Instagram. And like, where do you sit? Right? Where would you sit? And do you need to know where your entries and exits are? We need to know where everything is. You don't need to know light switches in a break room, but you know, it, it it's it's helps in that regard later in life, I guess. But super intense. And then beyond that, you take that walkthrough test, what you mentioned, right? And then you do this react drill. And it became competitive, right? Because there were several people that qualified that passed this first level of test. You remember that? Like you, fa- yep. you passed your walkthrough. And so now you got six or seven of 30 that are like ready for the SOG, ready to be the drill. But and you got to so get there first. You got to get there first. So race. you might have you might have just come off of mids and you're like creeping in the back on the side of the stairs. And like, I know there's a drill. It's a Tuesday. I know there's a drill. I'm going to get there first. You might have just got hammered all night and you're not paying attention. And I came off of my gate one night and I was like, you know what? I'm getting ready. And uh, the guy, Travis, you may remember, him, uh, was going to be my, so the key was to strategize was to get a, 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 a person that was a very good, good, yeah. a good assistant as your deputy. And so we would sprint up. And so the, the bell rang in, in my particular example, the bell rang alarms out. We had a, I don't even remember what the scenario was. We had something going on. Boom, boom, boom. And, and, and keep in mind, JT, we didn't tell them. We got a sprint like up of eight levels of stairs. Like this yeah, it's, not a, it's not a short distance. It's yeah. not a short distance. You got to run from your house, which is, you know, a quarter mile down the compound, maybe, maybe a little less. Up, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit of a ways. Yeah. Up between six and nine levels of stairs, get to the react room, put your kid on, get everybody on the knee and tell a bunch of Marines, this is what's going on. This is what's doing. Go through your old SMEAC and everything and, and boom, get out. And then you got to manage that for the 30 minutes of the drill. It's not easy for a, for a 19 year old Marine that, right. that, you know, um, and so, but it was fun. It was a lot of fun. But once you pass that, you're SOG, and so you can stand this particular shift. And the benefits of that were there were only so many SOGs, right? So you're mostly standing that shift, which means you're in camis. You're not standing in your, uh, I forget what it's, deltas? I forget. Yeah, the, yeah. Or tra- deltas or trolleys, whatever. De- yeah, yeah, you're not standing in those. So you're in your camis. You're, you're in charge. You're kind of You get to walk the, around, which is the biggest. You get to walk yeah. around. You get to visit with people. You go down to the cafeteria. And you get to make decisions too when things happen. Like, nah, let's just do this. Let's just handle this. Brief the air so that's in charge of a Marine detachment uh, and go on from there. So um, that was intense. And that's specifically for Moscow. But uh, yeah. being a Marine security guard in general uh, has some, some uh, intensity, intensity to it. Um, did you ever – well, I want to go back. So you mentioned about the two different criminal, the two different threats. And – uh, you know, DSA just face this everywhere they go. Like you go to an African post, you're facing particular threats. And depending on which country, it could be civil unrest, it could be crime. Um, uh, you go to a particular, uh, uh, you know, South American or, or European post, it might be counterintelligence. You go to Iraq, Afghanistan, Pakistan, it's, it's, it's high for, for, uh, for uh, terrorism. Um, and you mentioned a little bit about the differences between Moscow and uh, Bogota. Elaborate a little bit. So Moscow had had what, and what did and what did Bogota? What did you face there? What right. Yeah. There? Mo- yeah. Moscow was more of a counterintelligence threat. So the biggest threat was you know someone trying to steal information from you 
or get not necessarily steal, but withdraw and get information from from you. Bogota was like a physical threat, so you know, car bombings and actually any kind of bombings and kidnappings were the two biggest threats were there. Not necessarily Americans getting kidnapped, um, but at the time, you know, nationals getting kidnapped um, and a lot of different bombings. They were they were doing remote bombings. They were V beds before they were called, you know, V beds. Um, so it was a lot of that. Um, actually, uh, we had a case when I was there, uh, and the crazy thing about it is, is my deck commander, Gunny McNulty at the time, he didn't really like taking time off, but I convinced him. I'm like, bro, you know, like I'm here, ain't shit going to happen. He wanted to go somewhere with his girlfriend. So I kind of like pushed him over there. It's like, go with your girlfriend, man. Everything's going to be cool when you get back. So he left. Uh, and that night, um, at the time I was at my girlfriend's house and all the Marines came over there before, you know, they went out and we always start our night out just like Chesterfields in Russia. We went to Bogota beer company in Bogota. Um, so they came over there, had a couple of drinks and then they left to go out when they were on their way out. Bogota beer company got some grenades thrown inside there. Uh, and I think it killed a couple people and ended up wounding up a bunch. So the ambassador recalled, uh, the Marines. So we had to go back and um, that list, I forget, we had a name for it, where you recall all the embassy people. Phone tree. Phone tree. Uh, that was the only time I ever did that. We had to call everybody to get a, a head count because the initial reports were that there was two Americans that were involved. Uh, they were. They're, they're, and that report was correct. There was some Americans that were involved. They were not embassy personnel, but we did have to, you know, recall everybody. So I had to get all the Marines on deck because uh, I was the assistant detachment commander at the time. Uh, and the detachment commander was hours away. Um, so we had to do that. So that was the, that was the kind of threat that we had. So like in, in Russia, you know, like we had drivers. Uh, in Colombia, we had drivers, but we also had an Escolta, which was the armed guard uh, that went out with us. And then, you know, like with, with them, you know, most of the time we just had them drop us off somewhere. They would stick around for a couple minutes, but most time you just put them on their way. Because otherwise, you're just drawing attention to yourself, right? Very few times. If you were in a situation where you had to have your Escolta with you like all the time, then you were in a bad situation. So really, the only Marine that would have the Escolta with them the entire time that they were doing stuff was the mess NCO at sometimes. You know, sometimes when you go shopping at these open markets, you know, buying stuff in bulk, uh, he would have the Escolta with him. He had a lot of cash on him, you know, uh, being the reason. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I mean, there was a, there was a constant threat while I was there. Cause while I was there, it was, um, you know, that their president, um, had that, the Speha, whatever they called it, where, you know, they basically like, Hey, you can play over here as long as you don't mess with here, but that wasn't happening. So there was a lot of things that were going on, but it was all, you know, it was all a physical threat. We're not worried about, you know, someone trying to get intelligence out of us, you know? Yeah. That's a good example of different posts and, and um, you know, what, what they face and how we adapt, right. How the, the regional security officer adapts, like, all right, the Marines need an actual uh, armed guard with them. Mm -hmm. It's going to be one of the requirements that's worked through MSG school or whatever, maybe, or maybe not this communication that that's what's going to happen. And Moscow obviously didn't have that. 
um, you know, you have criminal threats, you have terrorist threats, uh, you had the FARC. And so for those that are wondering, it's just like the Revolutionary Forces of Colombia. And they were like Leninist Marxist regime type of communists that, that were conducting bombings. I actually went to the Bogota Beer Company many years later. I, I, I know I told you this, you may not remember, yeah. but uh, back in 2006, five or six. And I remember the guy that took me out was like, you know, this is, this is the place where it was bombing. And I was working for the government then before a DS agent I was working for the state department. And um, yeah. And that, and, and, and that was that. And, and uh, I, so I remember, but I think, I feel like you either told me the story or I read about it or something when I was there and I was like, Oh, this is not to say cool, but you know, I was here where it all happened. I remember yeah. you, you know, uh, telling me uh, or whoever telling me that, that it had happened. Um, and, you know, you mentioned the phone tree because I recently posted an article on my Patreon about, you know, three actions in every crisis. Right. And I'm not going to go over them here, but one of them, I talk about the phone tree and I explain the, the phone tree and uh, its use. And that's a good example of how it comes into play because it does yeah. come into play. It, it, it works. Play. Yeah. And I, I want to say, Cody, like by the time I made it to the embassy, at first, it was just like, hey, get all, get, all, get all the Marines back to the compound, right? That was the first thing. Uh, that's as soon as it happened. Get all the Marines back to the compound. And then it's like, you know, maybe like 20 or 30 minutes later, the reports came out. There was Americans involved. Then the next call, like, hey, you know, uh, implement the phone tree, whatever. So we started calling all the department heads, right? Uh, within 30 minutes, we had a head count on everybody which was like amazing. And you really think about like how many people, like, yeah, we called the department heads and then they started calling their people. And I'm sure they had, you know, uh, people that called other people. Uh, but that is pretty remarkable that we, you know, had within that amount of time, you know, report back to the ambassador, like, hey, all Americans that, you know, are working for the embassy are accounted for. Uh, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, I would agree. But, but you know, what, what helps, it, it always helps when you're in, a, in an environment where there is that threat of either terrorist activity or civil unrest yeah. or something like that. Because if you're in, in Geneva and, and right, something happens, it's going to be a lot harder to get. Uh, well, you, you probably respond. haven't updated that damn thing in years because you're complacent. And that's a problem. I, I think that's the, that's the biggest issue with, with people, especially like if you're an RSO, right? Because you're the one that's got to, you're the one holding everybody accountable for this shit. It's just not being complacent. Like, yeah, I'm in Geneva, you know, ah, phone tree, who cares about it, right? You yep. just can't be complacent because you just never know. This day and age, you just, you really never know, you know? Yeah, and there's a couple, yeah, no, 100%. There's a, there's a couple problems with that. Is complacency is, is obviously paramount there. It's, it happens all the time. When yeah. you go to places like Geneva, people, people assume they're going to a very safe environment. So, okay, you get this, you, your situational awareness goes down. But a lot of those posts also have a, uh, an ambassador that is appointed by a president for whatever reasons. Like I had one in my second post where the guy, it was an investment banker. He flew, you know, some people around for a campaign and was the ambassador. I knew nothing about the foreign service and everything else. And so they don't take these threats as seriously. Um, then maybe a, a, a person who, an ambassador who worked herself through the ranks. So they understand they've been to these African posts, Middle Eastern posts, Asian posts, and they kind of see like the whole picture, understand it could happen anywhere. Um, but in general, when you go to, and this is for future DS agents in general, when you go to these uh, posts that are not so dangerous, quote unquote dangerous, where there's not a high criminal threat, 
Uh, there's not a high terrorist threat, not a high CI threat. It's more westernized, right? More contemporary. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be really hard to convince people to follow your programs. And one of the things is to build that personal capital, that professional capital with the leadership, with the DCM, Deputy Chief of Mission, who's the second to ambassador, the ambassador, et cetera, et cetera, and get them to buy into your programs. Like, look, this happens. I'm not doing something that's unreasonable. I'm just saying that we all need to keep our phones on us. We need to demand that people keep their phone on us, their government-issued phone at all times, so they can respond to this type of threat. Um, you know, but this, these are the challenges uh, that we didn't know as a, as a Marine Security Guard that, uh, you know, I faced as an RSO, as an ARSO, trying to, trying to get some of these, uh, some of these yeah. things done. Um, so you mentioned McNulty. Um, and I want you to tell me about, about uh, his gun at the time. All right. Gunner Sergeant McNulty. Yeah, uh, who he was, what he what he did, and and I want to. Uh, there's a there's a reason I'm going into this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna you know talk about that at, right right at the end of you telling me. But tell us about Gunny McNulty. Gunny McNulty was like, you know, a Marine's Marine, super squared away. Uh, I'm pretty sure he was on the program as a watchstander, and then again as a deck commander. So he knew his shit. Like he he's been there. Like, you couldn't BS Gunny Minolke. Nobody could BS Gunny Minolke. He didn't really put up for any kind of BS. Um, he was an infantry Marine as well. Uh, his his first post was Bujumburo Burundi. Mm-hmm. Burundi, like, you know, like, he would always be telling stories about, like, Burundi at that time. I think there was a civil war going on or something like that. Um. And then he came to uh, Columbia after that. Before he came to Columbia, we were in disarray. The, the deck commander before, the deck commander that we had before him, I don't think any of the RSOs respected him. If they did, then it was just a show of face. You know, they were just doing it in front of us. But, you know, behind closed doors, they couldn't have respected him. Uh, he was not the most squared away Marine. Uh, actually, he wasn't squared away at all. Um, so Gunning McNulty came and kind of like restored us as a detachment you know started having more react 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 drills uh he made us get our he made us get our shit together you know we were ptn running pfts we're doing things that are expected of us to do and kind of built that capital back up with like the embassy personnel because you know um i I feel like the embassy people knew that we were not like a squared away detachment with our prior that commander uh so gunny minolti really came in and he changed it kind of like overnight um he got us out to the ranges you know got us shooting our weapons things like that um kind of like keep up with our proficiency like we should have been doing um he was a mentor like i have never had a mentor like that at that time in my marine corps it was like this person was a staff sergeant or gunnery sergeant i'm a sergeant yes sir no sir type deal with him it was more of like hey sit down like let's let's talk about this uh let's work through this scenario and here's some tips for you put in your pocket for the future you know he was that teacher he was not like that drill instructor that's like yelling at you and he would yell at you yeah i mean he would yell at you and you would feel his wrath but at the same time uh that was few and far in between from his teaching moments he had a lot of teaching moments he probably taught me the best life lesson I've ever been taught 
And I try to tell everybody this life lesson. And it, it was something simple, like right before I was leaving, he was like, hey, when you get to the fleet, you're not going to have time with your Marines. So get to get to know who they are. I was like, what the hell does that mean? And then when I got to the fleet, that really resonated with me. It's like, oh, get to know who my Marines are. And that kind of like spiraled down to like, oh, get to know who they are. Get to know like what makes them, you know, what makes them shut down, what makes them tick, what drives them, what motivates them. Because every Marine is different. If you try to treat everybody the same, you're not going to get the results you want. But if you take a Cody and like, all right, I know what buttons to push with Cody to get him to do what I need to do. You push him real quick. And then fucking Cody's all over it, right? So that was kind of the life lesson I learned from him. Um, and then um, he was he was probably the – before I met him, every staff NCO, if you will, was a rank, not a person. He was the one that actually became a person. Like, he was funny. You know, like, he would have us over at his house. Um, and – you know, have cook, cook his dinner, you know, like he treated us like humans, which I never really had before. You know, Moscow was just too big. We didn't hang out with our deck commander in Moscow. Only like, you know, these small cases, like, you know, we have a party at the house and they will be there. Um, so yeah, so me and Gunny, Matt became really tight. I became the A slash. There was a couple other brains that were more senior than me, but I got picked over them to be the A slash. Um, and then it kind of, uh, when we both left, I went to Camp Pendleton. He went to 29 Palms. And then uh, I went out to his house for a week before he went uh, to Iraq on the deployment that he ultimately got killed on you know, and spent the last week with him while he was uh, still stateside. Uh, so I got a lot of love for Gunny Mac, you know, as a person. Uh, and definitely as a Marine. And I think, and that's just not me saying it. Like that's all, all the Marines feel the same way about him. And this is before he passed away. I mean, I, I feel like when people pass away, people say all the great things about him, about that person. But this is well before that. Like we respected the hell out of Gunny Mac. We knew at the end of the day, this dude had our best interest uh, in his mind. And I think, um, that's why he got pulled to go to the schoolhouse. Um, not only because he knew his stuff, he knew how to draw the best out of Marines, man. Yeah, and the reason I asked about Gunny Mac is is uh, there's a range, a uh, range that's dedicated primarily to DSA. Well, I say primarily <laughs> uh, at Quantico that DSA agents use, or we did use prior to the Fast C, which is was down in Virginia, uh, Southern Virginia, but. Uh, on that range is a uh, memorial to Gunny McNulty. Uh, again, Gunny was, like you said, he was both a deck commander and a, uh, a instructor, it sounds like. Yep. Um, and uh, well, well loved, well respected. And I didn't know this uh, until I got there. And I think I sent you a picture. Yeah. Um, I think and so. we, we didn't talk about you and I relationship, but we've known each other obviously since Moscow to over 20 years. And I think I sent you a picture and you said, do you know this guy? Cause it said Columbia. And you're like, yeah, this is my guy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think in particular that leadership lesson is, is good for, for all of us in life, but particularly for young ARSOs is like, look, every Marine is different. You need to approach them differently. You need to adapt to their style. It's just a, it's just a leadership tool. Um, that, that you should use, particularly when it comes to deck commanders, because sometimes this, the deck, technically the deck commander reports to the regional security officer. When you're in a larger embassy, 
it's kicked out the air or so. And sometimes yeah. the deck commanders don't want to like, look, I'll deal with you on a daily basis, you know, and make it, make it work. But I really report to the RSO and they don't want to deal with, they don't want to hear from you. And so one of the ways to build that personal capital or build that understanding between both of you is that, look, you're, you're human. You're both human. Uh, you understand what they like, what, what gets them, what makes them tick, what makes them perform, what they care about, uh, understanding about their family and what, you know, where they're from. And, and that'll build everything you need to one, not have to worry about him, go him or her going to the RSO because they trust you because you cared enough to learn about them. Uh, and that continues to build, build, you know, that capital, uh, between them. And, but that's a good point. Every, every Marine is, every Marine is different. Yeah. Every person. Yeah. Every is different, you know, and like you look at it, like in, in Moscow, I didn't go to the office that much, but I just remember like, I think the deck commander worked with the RSO a lot. Um, but like in Columbia, it was com- completely different. Like the RSO that we had there, Mark Hunter, like, man, I could count on one hand how many times I saw him or even talked to him. It was all the ASRs. And we had such a good relationship with them, Cody. And when you're talking about like, you know, build that rapport just now, I was thinking of a story where some, something happened one time uh, and there was like some trash out in front. And like, one of the ARSOs in Columbia came and said, hey, man, can you go pick up that trash real quick? I didn't even think anything of it. Instead of like, man, fuck that. You, somebody else go pick up that trash. We got, like, maintenance people, grounds people to go pick up that trash. But, like, since our relationship was so strong, I didn't think anything of it. Walked out of post, went outside, picked up the trash, came back inside, threw it away, you know? Um, something that simple, you know, like, you could get more out of your Marines and more of a timely... I, I don't even know how to say it, but yeah, you can get more out of people if you just take the time to build that relationship. And it doesn't take much, man. Like we had one guy that knew that I love coffee and he would see me in post early in the morning. He walked by and knocked on the door like, you know, and I'm like, or like, yeah, I need some more, bro. Or no, I'm good. You know, and that little small token, it wasn't like all the time I was on post. It was just, you know, a couple of times, you know, here and there. Um, but it's like those things that go so far. And I, I want to say, like, in Columbia, our relationship with, like, the RSOs, I can remember their names, most of them. I can't remember anybody in Russia. Uh, one, Russia was big. Uh, but, like, we had Rich Lofert, Jorge Con- Conrado, Paul Backstrom. Like, those guys were solid, man. You know, I would go to bat for, you know, those guys any, any time of the day. Uh, and it does, like, thing is, like, if you're ARSO, it doesn't take much. Walk in a post, hey, what's up, man? How you doing today? You know, everything good? Three seconds, you know, and you're out. That's it. Um, or, or you could just not say anything ever, and your Marines just think, like, oh, that dude thinks he's, like, high and mighty. He's, you know, walking on water, whatever. Uh, but Marines will, if Marines don't know, they will create their own narrative of who you are as a person, and you don't want that, right? Yeah, good point. And that could build, it could be, they could shit on morale or that could make them yeah. obviously not respect you. And, and when, when a emergency happens, they won't listen to you. So, I mean, that's, that's one thing you as a former MSG and myself as well could say to an heir or so that's responsible for the Marine detachment is look, when you pass by them in the mornings, stop by and say hi. That's it. Either give them some knuckles through the glass better if you walk in and talk to them just shoot the shit if you can't because you're busy and you're late and you're swamped come back later and say yo what's up 
shake their hands, talk to them, get to know them. They're going to do everything for you. Yeah. And believe me, they could save your ass, not just in an emergency. There are other ways they can save your ass. And there's a number of things we could talk about, about how and why they could, could save you yes. <laughs> from, from looking yes. like a, like a tool. Uh, hey, if there's one phone number that can, someone will always pick up, it's the Marines. Oh so, yeah. Yeah. If you're out, if you're out partying and you make, and you do something stupid, you need help, call the Marines. They, they might not oh, react right. to detachment, but they'll say, yeah, hey, this guy and this guy are out, and they're going to come meet you and help you out. Yes. <laughs> or yeah. you name it, you know. If uh, you ever find, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you I mean, want, you, yeah, and internally too, right? Marines, like I, I joke about this, but in Moscow, like there was this one time where, so so one of the Marine duties in in, in as a, as a uh, as a Marine security guard is, is to walk around and inspect people's desks to make sure there's no classified laying out. Right. And, um, and you know, depending on, and that's usually happens on the late evening shift or on the midnight shift. Um, and depending on how much they like you, if you happen to have messed up and left your classified out or left your drawer open with classified information, et cetera, et cetera, they might just say, I'm going to just put it in here and lock it up and let you know in the morning, like, Hey man, just so you know, I locked this up in here or I, they might take it. And give it to the RSO, and then the RSO says that's a strike against you. And if you have two more strikes in the department, you could lose your job. You could lose your yep. clearance, depending if it's an infraction or an actual violation. Um, and there's times where I had a guy come in. I forget his name. I, won't, I would say it anyway. It came in and was just a complete ass. He was brand new in Moscow. I was like, okay, roger that. And I went searching every day. And maybe this is malicious, but whatever. I went searching every night that I could to see if this guy left some classified out. And I ended up getting them. I ended up finding the time that he did. Because if you're dealing with classified every day, it's bound to happen that you're going to leave some out. So my point is, also, in, in my second post, I found an error so that left his stuff out. You know what I did? I locked it away and didn't report. I'm like, hey, sir, this is what happened. You left it out, but I didn't tell anyone. So point that, being. Yeah, that happened to me with the error so as well. Like, yep, you know. Sent them a text, bro. You left some shit out. It's here, you know. Uh, and you could do that. I mean, shit, dude. Like that goes with that goes with anybody, you know. Because things happen, bro. We had the um, Secret Service shit ton of money out, left it just out and about. That was not classified information, but it's like a big enough chunk of money that it should not just be left out you know and just call the dude up like hey man what <laughs> what do you want me to do with this you know um but that's that that's that relationship uh and columbia you know was a good thing for like the relationship and you know the little times that we spent together at the uh marine house we also played flag football with a lot of uh uh dea agents that were there so it was them um versus us and there were some army guys that were on their team uh and we had some marines that were in the dea that played on our team and that was another good tool for relationship building you know hell in moscow we played basketball with the um uh, with the commissary people you know um i mean there, there's plenty of things you can do to build that camaraderie yeah so well, a couple more things. What did you think as an, as an ARSO, uh, as an, as an MSG, what did you think of your ARSOs? Like what was your, 
I mean, like you said, you had some that 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 you you know the deck commander talked to, and and but it, it, a lot of times, like, I I thought I was like, he's got some chumps, he's some civilian, some civilian chumps that don't know what they're gonna do. I'm not really gonna listen to them. I'm gonna listen to the deck commander. And then I realized later that some of them were Marines, were Marine security guards, were, were Marine infantry commanders, maybe a captain or something. Yeah. Uh, some these days we have yeah, DS has a few SEALs. They have a few, several special, you know, special operations guys, special special forces guys and girls, oh, guys. Um, but but people that are very experienced. Um, and so what was your thought back then when you saw an air or so like what are they? Yeah, man. When we were in Moscow, they were there. Um, and I think there, there was maybe like a couple of them that were pretty cool, but I didn't really know them. I didn't get to talk to them. I didn't really spend too much time with them. So I just kind of thought they were like pansies. Like, hey, man, some real shit happened. You know, there's plenty of us Marines here to get the job done. Uh, I felt like on the strategic level, if we were going to get help, it was going to come from them. Right. That's what I thought. Um, and this is, you know, someone who has very little in the know of what actually goes down. When I got to Columbia, whole different ball game. So once I got to actually know these guys, know what they what they have done, you know, like talking to some of these guys and realize the shit they have done. I'm like, dude, like, he, well, first of all, you seen more combat than any marine here because before that you know like nobody's really seen combat like these guys were pretty squared away but it was that relationship you know like most of them would come sit at the post post one waiting for the ambassador before she came down the stairs right so they just come sit in post one it could be anywhere from you know how ambassadors are it could be anywhere from like hey i'm coming down and they're coming down or hey i'm coming down and it's 30 minutes later uh, so you know just sitting there and you're shooting a breeze with them and, you know, we had such a good relationship. We went out with these guys all the time. Um, so once I got to learn them, learn about them and um, what they have done, it changed your perspective. But, like, somewhere big like Moscow, like, I didn't, I didn't know that. Uh, so definitely changed my perspective. Most of them were really squared away, like, super squared away. Uh, in Colombia, most of them in certain situations would ask you your opinion. Not on anything that was like, you know, the higher level kind of opinion, but just like on something kind of minor, if you will, that a Marine, that the Marine was gonna go handle, but they was asking your opinion, like, how would you handle this? You know, which was good because whether, whether for that Marine, whether how you would handle it is the correct way or a bad way, it was, it could either be, yep, affirmative or a good teaching moment that RSO or ARSO. Um, but at the same time, I would say in Colombia, now I'm telling you my perspective as like a, a Marine Sergeant, I did not respect the RSO. I felt like he, I felt like he was too big for his britches. I felt like he had some kind of uh, other motive than being an RSO. You know what I mean? I felt like we were nothing to him. But we were everything for the ARSOs. So, but that's that's how I felt, and I know every Marine felt it that way. Like I don't, I it is fair to say that I don't think any of the Marines like respected the RSO in Columbia. We love the shit out of the ARSOs and the Deputy RSO, uh, but the actual RSO, 
he, yeah, I, I, I don't know what his deal was, um, but. Yeah, I think he said his name earlier. I know him. Um, yeah, he, he was an RSO when I was a, a, an RSO at a bigger post when I was when I was there, and and uh, he was fine. He was, he was a nice guy, but yeah, I, I, I to some of your points, uh, but but my point in, in asking you that is 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 basically for young RSOs that are coming out. So he has some aspiring agents that are looking at this, listening to this program, and. Uh, Building that personal capital is important because initially these United States Marines that are come from the military, from the fleet are going to look at you as a civilian and they're not going to respect you. They, they remember, right. you remember in general respect, like they'll be polite and respect you, but they're not going to Absolutely. really. Yeah. And you, you may remember the term like, don't go green. Don't go. You're green. Don't go gray or something like that. And, 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 yeah. and, uh, in um, in MSG school, it's like, you're a Marine through and through, right? You're a Marine, you're green. Gray is the State Department, right? Where there's a, it's, it's white and black and gray in the middle, um, and don't go gray. And you know, and and you can find that balance. But if you're going to build, if you want these Marines to trust you, you need to build that capital with them. You need to listen to them. You need to understand them. You need to know they're up at twenty four seven. They're working all shifts. They know the ins and outs of every door, of every light switch, of every little thing that's happening there. They know all the rumors. They see who's working with who, who's walking with who, who's having lunch with who. They're looking in the cameras. They know everything. And it's important for a number of reasons that you are you look out for them and you take and you and you uh, take care of them uh, and, and just be a good leader in general. And listen to them, especially if you don't come from a tactical background, right? If you come right. from being a, a teacher or something, which is fine. It happens. And you learn tactics in DS. Well, guess what? These Marines have better tactics than you. And so you can probably learn from, from them. Or they've done it longer, at least. Because DS teaches some good tactics. They have good people in the, as an instructor cadre. But but you can learn from them because they've, they've potentially applied it. So, um, But anyway, so we'll end on that one, man. We're pushing up against two hours now. Um, but I do want to, uh, so, you know, I want to talk about what you're doing now. So give a little plug. Cause we talked about your t-shirt company that you're doing and you, you happen to make the recent batch of off the X t-shirts, the high threat protection, which are a very popular t-shirt and hoodie. Um, yeah. and you made those and came out very well and, and I've sold a significant amount of them almost out actually. So tell us, uh, I guess I guess kind of just talked about it, but what are you doing? What's the name of your company and how can people reach you? Uh, the, the name of the company is JT, like uh, J, uh, T is in Tango, E is in Echo, E is in Echo, Inc, I-N-K, dot com. Uh, so you might have heard Cody call me JT. Those are my first and middle initial. Um, so yeah, I do uh, screen printing for essentially anybody who needs t-shirts, any kind of apparel, t-shirts, hoodies, tank tops, whatever you, you name it whatever it can be printed on i could print on so i'm doing that um you know one of the things that i feel like everybody that has served in the military after you know they get out is finding that purpose what is my purpose in life like you had a purpose now you have no purpose like what is that purpose in life granted printing t-shirts may not be my purpose in life but it's making me happier than working 12 hours for someone that has no purpose in life um so i enjoy it it's kind of therapeutic it's kind of uh kind of grunt work i like grunt work um i also like using my brain so it's not something i could do all day every day 
but it's something that I definitely do enjoy doing. Um, so doing that now, I mean, I do I do all kinds of odd things here and there now. Uh, do some little security here and there. Um, that's kind of sporadic, uh, kind of when you want to do it, kind of do it. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm still going to school, man. I'm, I'm a student of life. I might as well be, as long as it's taking me to get a damn degree, I might as well say I am the true student of life. Yeah. Well, degree is important only because, uh, some companies require it. Doesn't mean it teaches you anything. You've learned more in your right. background yep. than, than most people have. Um, and, and, to you minimize you, you're a humble guy. I've known you for 20 something years. You to, for, for their listeners, you're my best friend and you were the best man at my wedding. So now we've revealed something uh, throughout, <laughs> throughout this podcast that we haven't. Um, and, 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 uh, but, but you, it's a lot more than just getting out there and printing. Like there's a lot of nuance and a lot of logistical uh, aspects to printing a shirt, whether it's colors, sizes, uh, designs, uh, you going on and making a vector file, et cetera, et cetera. And you do a good job at that. Uh, and, and your, your, your customer source service oriented, not just because of me, actually, if it's with me, it's probably less customer service because you know, that that I'm just your friend and yeah. you, can, <laughs> That's true. you can do that with me. Um, but, uh, but you're very good at it and you do, yeah, you've done security, you know, security well, and I'm, so I'm, I'm glad you're getting back into that because maybe we can work together. Uh, again in the future what's your uh instagram uh or or where are you uh, uh promoting your t-shirt company yeah well i just started an instagram for it uh and the instagram is just the jt inc um and i also have a i have a etsy account uh, so you can also find me on etsy uh everything is under jt inc um so that's t as in like you were you know shorthanding t-shirt t-e-e um so every everywhere you can find me instagram etsy website um via that jt inc that's i-n-k like, veteran owned uh disabled veteran owned services and you've done a lot more than just marine security guard duty actually you've done a ton more um and uh i that maybe someday we'll get you on here this this podcast is particularly for kind of a certain sector of of you know, the world or yep. careers. Um, but you've done a ton more. And so it's a service disabled veteran owned. Um, and so if you know anyone, those of you listening, if you know, if you want to print shirts, if you know someone that wants to print shirts, if you want hats, uh, you, Jason has connections. He has people that work, that right. can work with, uh, that, that can help you help you get there. And I do want to say one more thing, cause we're going to be remiss and you know, he's going to get angry with us. Our buddy, Nick Upstead, uh, that whether he likes me saying his name or not, I just said it. But he is leading Liberty Risk Apparel, uh, of which both you, you and I have been uh, uh, silently a part of uh, in different ways. And so Liberty Risk, R-I-S-Q.com is where there's some kind of, we call it, I call it like boot campish uh, stuff. And I don't know if this is, if he's going to take this in, so he'll probably laugh it off. Yeah. But it's like, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's shirts and hats and, and uh and uh they certainly the prints are, are good uh designs are a little different um than uh you know, they're more traditional i guess you could say you know like young marines coming in uh, but nick is working his tail off and getting that up and i know you're still helping him here and there and uh, i haven't been the best in helping just because i have a few things going on but but uh i had you know we had to say that so yeah um but anyway any uh any closing uh words 
closing words is that if there's anyone out there listening, aspiring to be a you know dip- diplomatic security service agent, um, do it. Uh, that's my expiring words. If I didn't, if I didn't have a son, I would have got out the Marine Corps, uh, went to school, and tried to do it. I think, you know, uh, I've done enough in my military and civilian life to know that uh, it will be a great career. Whether whether or not it is sustainable, i.e., like if you want to have a family, things like that, it can be a little tough on your family. But at the same time, I mean, you could potentially be in a country by yourself and there's no other Americans that are, you know, hours away. Um, you call the shots. Um, you make things happen. If things don't happen, you know. Uh, but also at the same time, I think, you know, me and Cody both alluded to, like, if you are uh, a serving ARSO or RSO or you're trying to get into the program and you do eventually make it, Take the time to get to know these Marines. And like we both said, it does not take much time, man. You're not like going out of your way to try to, you know, talk to these guys. It's, you know, walking by posts and, you know, just saying what's up. Hey, how you doing today, Marine? You know, whatever the case may be. So um, just, you know, just be a human. Don't treat those guys like they're robots and they will treat you better. That's for sure. Yeah, two good points. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously treating the Marines with dignity and respect, and and they'll look out for you. But uh, I would obviously concur. I, I did obviously ten years as a DS agent, and I'm uh, I loved it, and I did yep. start a family, and it was hard on my family, and there's personal reasons. Uh, but that said, there are plenty of people that do it with a family for twenty plus years uh, that make it work, and there's ways to do it. But it is the best career in federal law enforcement. I don't care who says it. I guess it depends what you want. You know uh, what you're looking for in a career in federal law enforcement, but. Uh, even the young Marines uh, uh, on post see that's a great career. You were one of them that thought of that. I was one of them that, that thought of it and pursued it. Um, and, uh, you know, that's a, a good tip and a good point. And I think the listeners here understand that. Well, all right, my man, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say bye here, but don't hang up. Let's talk a little bit after. But thank you for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. All right, buddy. All right. Thank you, Jason, for your service and for coming on the podcast. And for those of you who might be interested to get some shirts printed or some hats with some patches made, check out Jason at J-T-E-E-I-N-K, J-T-E-I-N-K on Instagram. Uh, Give him a follow. He's just starting up. He's got a few things posted, but he does some good work. For those of you that have bought Off the X shirts and hoodies, the more recent ones, Jason is the person who made those. So uh, grateful for him and his friendship and for him coming on the podcast. All right, so other items. Those of you interested in becoming a DSS agent, I have developed a number of resources to support your research and maybe your decision to pursue uh, the career uh, of becoming an agent. So number one, let's go over some of them. Some of them. Uh, number one, I put out 20-plus uh, videos on YouTube uh, discussing life as a DSS agent living overseas, leadership, family concerns, and so on. Go check it out. I, what it is, I basically I respond to people's questions. Um, I've been doing it for the last couple years. Every month or so, I will put out a, uh, a video responding to questions. 
Next thing, Facebook. Join the Becoming a DSS Agent Facebook group where retired, former, and current DS special agents of all levels uh, interact. Uh, they ask and answer questions with aspiring DS agents. It's the only group of its kind that I know of uh, in federal law enforcement, but especially in DS, where you can get actual information from people who are in the job, who were in the job, who are just getting into the job, maybe in training, uh, maybe uh, you know just getting into the field office, uh, and, and so on and so forth. So check it out. Fill out the questions. When you uh, when you submit, I'm I'm only allowing people that are actually interested, not just people that just want to listen uh, or watch. You know what goes on and, and garner information that way. So fill out the questions. Uh, I'll approve you, and we'll go from there. Uh, of course, I have an Instagram page. Uh, for those of you that don't know, it's off the X underscore Inc I N C, where I post about DSS, global security, personal safety stuff, just about anything security and safety related. Uh, and again, that's off the X underscore INC. On some of those, I actually do scenarios. So if an event happens around the world, somewhere in the world, I will say, look, you're a regional security officer. You're a DS agent working at the embassy. This happened. What do you do? And then, you know, people can respond. People DM me. And I say, yeah, that's a good strategy. Maybe consider this, consider that. Uh, and so, you know, check it out. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. So. Uh, I also have a book. It's called Agents Unknown. This is how all of this started. Uh, it's called Agents Unknown, True Stories of Life as a Special Agent in the Diplomatic Security Service. Uh, five stars on Amazon. It's available in paperback uh, on Amazon uh, or through my website, CodyParon.com, uh, on Barnes & Noble online. It's in digital format on iBooks and Kindle uh, and audio format on Audible and Apple Books. Uh, I suspect it's else, elsewhere, too. You can buy it, uh, but those are the places that, that people... Uh, go primarily to get it something new i started recently uh for those of you that want a bit more those of you that might want to uh contribute uh you know there's a cost that comes with doing uh you know podcast websites uh meetings etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's a patreon account it's a patreon membership it's a it's a way to uh contribute whatever you want five bucks a month or, or whatever, right? So there's different levels that you can explore, 5, 10, I think there's 25, 50, 75. And with each level, you get something extra, uh, you know, to to help you in your potential, you know, your career endeavors. So you get bonus material, you including early release uh, uh, of the podcast, discounts, a chance to be a part of virtual happy hours, uh, some guest speakers will join, run through some scenario-based training and more. So Check it out. It's the first time I've done this. Folks, I've asked for more. Uh, I've had people buy uh, hats and, and paid twice the amount for a hat that, that they don't even need a hat. Uh, but they did it anyway just to contribute, just to, to give back for the information I put out. And for that, I'm great, grateful. But now I've set up this medium that you can go to to contribute. So patreon.com uh, slash off the X underscore Inc. Check it out. Again, five bucks a month. You get a bunch of stuff. Uh, that's, you know, comes out to, you know, a little about a coffee a day. So anyway, check it out. Finally, my website is CodyPeron.com, C-O-D-Y-P-E-R-R-O-N.com, where I sell some off the X hats, some t-shirts, some patches, some stickers. Uh, you can find my social media there. You can buy the book there, as I mentioned. And if you buy it from me, it's a little, it's, it's a little cheaper, although the, the shipping, uh, you know, makes it a little more. Uh, but I do throw in a couple extra items, uh, you know, some small things. Uh, so anyway, if you're interested in buying the book directly from me, go ahead and check it out, CodyParon.com. And with that, I will sign off and I look forward to our next guest next month. 
Thank you for your support. Let me know I can help. Info at CodyPeron.com if you ever have any questions or find me on uh, social media on Instagram, off the X underscore Inc. Thanks again. Uh, catch you on the backside. Thanks, y'all. Out. Mm-hmm.